This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Todd Helton falls short in Hall of Fame voting. Drew has a detailed explanation on how the voters got it dead wrong. Plus, Larry Walker on what it's like being in that elite Hall of Fame club. It doesn't matter if you're a first ballot or a, a final year or you got voted in by the committee. You're a Hall of Famer and they welcome you that way and that couldn't be more true. Everybody is very very genuine and, and uh, it's just one big family. Do you pinch yourself and go, hey, what am I doing here kind of thing? <laughs> I did that just being in Major League Baseball. Are you kidding me? This didn't take a Hall of Fame. Just being a Major League Baseball player made me pinch myself. And Walk's reaction to his teammate Todd Helton not getting into the Hall of Fame You'll hear that coming up. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. All right, folks, welcome in. It is show number 186 on our little venture. And we'll get to Larry Walker indeed in a few moments. Uh, baseball right around the corner and the Hall of Fame voting uh, was announced officially uh, a day ago as we taped this, and Todd Helton finished just short of that magical percentage needed of 75%. So the only one going in, at least in this round, is Scott Rowland. Now, he'll be accompanied by a deserving Fred McGriff, who did not make it in 10 years on the ballot. He was added by the Veterans Committee, the Historical Committee, um, and Fred McGriff... I never understood, by the way, why Fred McGriff didn't make it initially. And it's probably why I don't understand how there's a number of guys that either haven't made it or don't get more substantive vote totals. Now, many of you are listening to this podcast because you're Rockies fans or you live in the Rocky Mountain region, and therefore you care greatly about the candidacy of number 17, Todd Helton. So Helton jumped from 52% to 72.2% in one year. And the good news is no one has ever eclipsed 70 plus percent with years to go and not gotten in. Helton is going to get in. I agonized for him and I texted with him uh, on Monday and he was nervous naturally and, and hopeful clearly and, and again, obviously. Uh, to get in and it's not a consolation when you're that close i'm sure but the 20 percent jump is almost unprecedented and now he's on the precipice of getting in so when you look at it from that standpoint it's good it's all good todd helton will become the second rocky hopefully next year and if not next year the following year but i'd be shocked now i would be shocked if next year he didn't get the 11 votes that he was shy this year to eclipse that 75 percent threshold and he will be the second rocky to be enshrined in cooperstown he is deserving you know i'm going to take you back to when he retired in 2013 and I would get this question from Rockies fans fairly frequently. Will Todd Helton be a Hall of Famer? And in answering it honestly at the time, I said it's going to be tough. I felt like it was going to be close. And the reason that I answered the question candidly in that way, I felt that Todd was a Hall of Famer. And I'll get to more on that in a moment as to why. 
beyond the statistical measurements. But I always felt like it would be tough because, and you've heard a lot about this over the last bunch of years, how many of the writers vote and appear or, or look upon, I should say, Coors Field baseball at altitude. Too many, though that number is dwindled, were dismissive of anything that took place at Coors Field from an offensive standpoint. Well, it doesn't matter. It's Coors Field. Altitude baseball. All the numbers are skewed. Larry Walker started out with a really small percentage, and we know on his, you know, on his final try, Larry Walker got in. And Todd Helton, I think, started around 15%, and now he's risen, as I mentioned, to 72-plus percent. He's going to get in. And the education of the average writer has increased. They, they had like GDs originally. And now most have gotten their, their, their bachelor's degree or are in the process of finishing their bachelor's degree on understanding Major League Baseball at altitude. Not all of them, though, and I'll get to that in a moment also. Some of them are failing to get their GED because they don't do their damn homework. It's hard to play at altitude. I know this from being around the players for three decades. Yes, Coors Field, we know, is a great offensive ballpark. We know that it is advantageous to hit at altitude. We know that the outfield is so cavernous, it is going to inflate your batting average. It is going to increase to a certain degree the number of extra base hits that you potentially could have. But it takes away, too. We know that historically. Coors Field always leads baseball in run productivity, and they're the absolute opposite year in and year out on the road. Is it because year in and year out, all the guys that populate the Rockies roster are really AAA guys and they're horseshit and they really don't belong in the big leagues? Or is it because having to play at altitude and having to make adjustments to ball movement away from home not to mention what it does to the body going from altitude to sea level and back and, and forth. Doesn't that make more sense as to why the numbers on the road have always been so depressed? So it giveth altitude and it taketh away. And many of the writers, and I'm picking on the writers here because I think you know if you're listening to this podcast, that it's the BBWA, the Baseball Writers of America, who vote. It's not the broadcasters. It's not um, a combination of media members, coaches, former players. It's one group. It's a little over 400 baseball writers that vote. And so many used to not do any homework. Congrats to the number that have looked forward and progressed and evolved and better understand baseball at altitude. 
And that is why Larry Walker is now a member of the Hall of Fame. And it's why Todd Helton, in the not too distant future, will be deservedly a member of the Hall of Fame. I get really frustrated when 3.9% of the over 400 ballots that were sent out were not returned. There were several that were returned without a name on it. I understand that's your right. If you don't feel like anyone is deserving, then you have a right not to vote for anyone. But at least mail the damn back the the, the thing back in, the damn ballot. To not respond at all, you should lose your vote. It's it's not only an honor to vote from my perspective. You have a responsibility to do your homework to do research on each and every candidate. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Todd Helton from day one was a slam dunk, slam the gavel down Hall of Famer. I watched just about every one of his at-bats in his 17-year career. And he was a Hall of Famer to me, and I I was alluding to this a moment ago. Originally, and I'm going to talk to Larry Walker about this, when I first thought about the Hall of Fame, and I had conversations with my late father about the Hall of Fame and others in the game as I moved into the game as a broadcaster, I've always felt like the best description of a Hall of Famer was with the eyeball test. When you look at a guy, was he one of the dominant players of his era? You know, having an understanding of the stats and so on, but did you look and say, man, that's one of the great players of this era? Like Albert Pujols is retiring. I don't think anybody would doubt when you look back over the last 20 years in baseball and you say, hey, you know, name name the three best hitters, name the five best hitters you can, or the five uh, hitters you think of first that have dominated over the last 15, 20 years. You're going to go Albert Pujols. It's going to roll right off your tongue, especially, you know, his first 10, 11 years uh, when he was in St. Louis prior to going to the West Coast. So Hall of Famer, and then you break down the numbers, and it's pretty clear, 700-plus home runs, 2,000-plus RBIs. I mean, that the, he if he's not 100% in five years when he comes up, again, pull the ballot away from uh, those voters because you know there'll always be a couple outliers. They're like, nope, I don't vote on the first, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not making a guy a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, but Todd Helton, when I think back at his career and the peak of his career before the back injury and probably playing at altitude all of those years took away some of his skill level. You're talking about, you know, late 90s through 2005. I'm not going to bore you with a, with a string of numbers, overwhelm you with a string of numbers. But from a war standpoint, which is maybe the sexiest and uh, most accurate for many of the voters way of determining if a player is worthy of induction, wins above replacement. The only two guys in in that five-year period or six-year period between 2000 and 2005 that had a higher wins above replacement. And remember, this accounts for your ballpark and where you play. The only two that were higher in that time frame were Barry Bonds and Albert Pujols. That's it. Then Todd Helton. Todd Helton, this is one of my favorite ones, and I think you're probably aware of this. 
Todd Helton's career road OPS when people want to ding him for playing at Coors Field. And it's harder to go out on the road when Coors Field's your home. We've established that. He had an 855 OPS. Now, for me and for many, OPS is a great statistic to give you an idea of how valuable that player is offensively. On base plus slugging. They get on base so they're available to be driven in. And then slugging, when they're getting hits, oftentimes they're extra base hits, right? On base plus slugging. His on base plus slugging on the road in his career was 855. 855. He is ahead of Dave Winfield, George Brett, Eddie Murray, Tony Gwynn, Tony Oliva. I mean, the list goes on and on of slam your gavel down Hall of Famers that you would never equivocate on. And yet he has a higher road OPS than those guys. Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer without question. And the good news is as disappointing as Tuesday was, number one for him and his family, and number two for all of the people that have followed the Rockies, that followed his career, that watched and said, man, that's a Hall of Famer. He passes the eyeball test that he fell just short. But it was a big step forward. It was a big step forward. And next year, oh, by the way, you know another guy he's ahead of, wrote OPS in his career? Ken Griffey Jr. That's another, right? Slam the gavel down. Ken Griffey Jr., one of the greats of the greats, right? He's ahead of him in terms of road OPS. So his day is coming, but I'm frustrated by a number of people that, as I said, just don't do the proper research, and they still exist. And many of those folks are back east. And I can call them out. I'm not going to call them out necessarily by name, but I can call them out because I know where they reside. And I can call them out because I'm from back east. I'm from New York. And to many of those, they have an arrogance, a pompousness that nothing exists beyond New York, maybe Boston. We'll throw the Cubs in there. St. Louis will give their their respect in the Midwest because they've won a number of championships. And then the former New York teams, the Dodgers and the Giants. It's like that's all. It's like the original six in hockey. Those are the only teams that matter. And they vote as such. And I know from growing up back east, because of the start times, it's hard to see the games. It's hard to hang in there at 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning and see Todd Helton come through in the ninth inning with a with a walk-off home or a huge base hit to drive in a tying run. And we also understand that by and large throughout their history, the Rockies have not enjoyed a great deal of team success. They're not in the postseason frequently. Helton only went a couple of times. But it ticks me off when you are bestowed a great responsibility like voting for the Hall of Fame and you don't do your damn homework and you fall back on tired narratives that have been debunked over time. You can't summarily dismiss what occurs out in Denver because, well, they play at altitude. You can't do it. It's unfair. They don't do it anywhere else. They don't take away from a left-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium and say, well, you know, they hit a lot more home runs because right field's an absolute joke at at Yankee Stadium. They don't say, well, that pitcher 
who threw a number of years for the Dodgers, was good, but he pitched at Dodger Stadium, which is a great place to pitch. They don't do that, but they always point to Coors Field. And something else, if they're in the league, they're in the league, right? They're a major league team. And therefore, the the players that populate the roster should have the same amount of respect and understanding of their accomplishments as someone that played in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. Yeah, I get frustrated. You're hearing it a little bit. I'm not as frustrated, quite honestly, as I was a few years ago when guys like Walker and Helton were barely noticed. And I think by and large that the writers, not all of them, but they they continually don't get things right. And that's why, and and this is going to sound self-serving, that it should be a combination of, you know, writers, broadcasters who are there every day, former players, because former players know, coaches, managers, make it it a a cross-section of people who follow the game, who watch the game on a regular basis. I mean, there are people, I don't know if you're aware of this, that vote who have not covered the game in a number of years. How can that be? How does that make sense? It doesn't. They're columnists who haven't shown up at a ballpark in years, yet have a vote. That's illogical. And here's where they've screwed it up. Not yeah, Helton's going to get in. But I'll give you a couple names, and you tell me how they don't get greater consideration. And I would tell you to go look up their numbers. Jeff Kent was not a warm, fuzzy guy, and I think that's hurt his candidacy. But when you look at the position he played, second base, and he was an average defender, hung in really well on the double play, probably gets dinged more than he should for his defense. Was he a gold glove caliber second baseman? Will he ever be confused defensively with Robbie Alomar? No, he will not. But from an offensive standpoint, he was one of the most prolific offensive second basemen in the history of the game. And yet he has waning support for the Hall of Fame. Here's another one. Bobby Abreu, 15% of the vote this year. Bobby Abreu, I'll talk to Walker about Bobby Abreu in a little bit. Bobby Abreu. Look up his numbers, man. He was tremendous in a number of categories. He stole over 400 bases. He hit a ton of homers. He hit a boatload of doubles. If you didn't throw him a strike, he flipped the bat and his helmet to the bat boy and walked to first. Super high on base percentage. Bobby Abreu, man, he's got Hall of Fame numbers. And it's like he's an afterthought on the ballot. It's perplexing. Next year, by the way, you're saying, well, what kind of um, new competition will, will Helton have? Who, who will be the first-year guys? Who are the most notable first-year guys? Well, there's one guy that'll be a first-year name on the ballot that ought to get in next year, and I'm assuming he will, and that's Adrian Beltre, who is one of the all-time great third basemen. Two ways. Scott Rowland, congrats. Scott Rowland goes in. Uh, Scott Rowland's numbers are dwarfed by Adrian Beltre's. And Adrian Beltre was a marvelous defensive third baseman, just as Rowland was. Yeah, I can go on and on uh, about this. 
I'll give you another guy who belongs. Billy Wagner. I got a great stat for you. Billy Wagner and Spilly have said this to me, and I've had other players who face Billy Wagner say similar things. Spilly said, best fastball he's ever seen. And and Spilly faced some, you know, you know, great pitchers, the Randy Johnsons of the world. I mean, some great power arms. So the best fastball he ever saw, or as he said, I really couldn't see it, was Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner wasn't tall, left-handed arm slot, and, and it just exploded at the plate. Here's a wonderful stat for you. Billy Wagner, who threw more than 900 innings in his big league career, if he were to return to the big leagues tomorrow and give up 100 consecutive hits, so the next 100 batters that faced him all got hits, 100 for 100, do you know that the batting average against Billy Wagner would at that point equal the batting average allowed by the great and unanimous Hall of Famer, Mariano Rivera. 100 for 100. That's how much better the batting average against Billy Wagner is than Mariano Rivera. How about this one? You go 200 for 200 against Billy Wagner starting tomorrow, and then the batting average would be equal to what Lee Smith produced. And Lee Smith's a Hall of Famer. Billy Wagner is a Hall of Famer. Billy Wagner was as dominant, forget left-handed, just a bullpen arm as there was. And somehow he still has fallen short. I hope all of those issues are corrected in the coming years. Do you know there's only been two guys now put into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the writers in the last three years? That's it. And I respect one aspect of the Hall of Fame and and the process. They make it really difficult. I'm not saying it's easy to get into Canton or Springfield or Toronto where where the respective NFL Basketball Hall of Fame and and Hockey Hall of Fame are situated. Um, It's always been very, very difficult. Just a little more than 300 have gotten in in the history of, of the sport of baseball. But there are others that are deserving that we have to get in. And Todd Helton's day is coming. All right. On to some other things before we get to uh, Hall of Famer Larry Walker. Michaela Schifrin, big shout out. Won our 83rd World Cup race, won a GS recently in uh, Italy. She, at 27, passes the all-time record that was originally held by fellow American Lindsey Vaughn of 82 career World Cup victories. The number one mark, if you include the men, is Ingemar Stenmark, who won 86. So that's going down. She's just 27. She's going to blow past that. And I'm especially happy. You know, we're, we're a ski state. Tourism huge. Skiing's always been something that... Uh, is important to me. I got my start in Aspen. I started skiing when I was like five years old. Love it. Covered the World Cup when I lived in Aspen and Vail and have such great respect for World Cup racers. I mean, they put life and limb on the line, especially when they're running downhills. And what's special about Michaela Schifrin is, yes, she's known as a technical skier. She's the greatest slalom skier ever. 
um, great in the GS as well, but she can run speed events also. When she has appeared in speed events, she has been victorious at times and a contender. And that's not always been the case. She's she's across the board fantastic. And I, I'm especially happy also because she struggled in front of the whole world in the Olympics. And many people with sports like skiing only pay attention to the athletes involved in such sports in an Olympic year. And so they, you know, they heard a lot about Michaela Schifrin. And she not only had to carry the flag figuratively for the United States in those winter games, um, but... She drew by far the most attention worldwide. She was the biggest name at the Olympic Games. And she had a rough week. Six events, several she didn't finish. She crashed. She did not medal in any of them. Yet she went on to win the World Cup again last year, the overall World Cup standings for the women. She's about to do it again this year. And she just claimed victory number 83. So uh, from afar, I am thrilled uh, with what Michaela Schifrin uh, has been able to um, to accomplish. Um, we'll get to some other uh, topics, including the Broncos coaching search on the backside, but I want to take you to our interview this week uh, with Larry Walker. Been some time now since Larry was inducted and he had his day, had to wait, remember, because of COVID to have his day along with Derek Jeter uh, in Cooperstown. And uh, these days, Walk is chilling out. I caught up with him earlier from his uh, his home in Cabo, which uh, I'm sure there's not a lot of bad days in Cabo, but it's always fun to, uh, to talk with Walker. And so now we'll visit with Larry on a number of topics. Enjoy, everybody. I haven't talked to you in a while. I've texted a little bit with you during the um, during the last baseball season. So it's been whatever you know. It's been a couple years actually since you found out that you were inducted, and then the ceremony last year. Um, is, is life legitimately any different now that you have uh, the Hall of Fame tag next to your name? Well, it, it, you know what? You can make it as different as you want to make it, I guess. And for me, nothing nothing changes. You know, maybe the first obviously months or up to a year were a little different because of the newness of it. Um, for me, it's, it's worn off now and kind of calmed down. And, um, and I didn't put myself out there and do a lot of events and, and you know, want to be seen and all that stuff. It's just, that's not my makeup. So, um, but it's, it's calmed down. And it's, like I say, the, uh, the one thing that never changes when somebody asks for an autograph is I have the honor to put that HOF 2020 uh, underneath my name now, and that that's never going to change. So that's always a special thing uh, when I do that. So you don't have a little booth in Vegas next to Pete Rose? <laughs> yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> keep 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 the investment solid. All right, you can, you can, you can keep away from that uh, thing. One thing that you do have to do every summer is you have to build in that you're going to be in upstate New York for several days in in July. Correct. Yeah, it's uh, if, if if unless there's something conflicting, uh, yeah, I plan to go there. I, I got to go, got to go last year for the first time uh, as uh, as I guess as a Hall of Famer, not as someone getting inducted and watch David Ortiz and and uh, yeah, watch his speech and a few others go in. So that was uh, quite enjoyable to not have that pressure of having to stand at that podium and, and speak. How cool, Larry, is, is the fraternity, especially, you know, the few days in, in the hamlet of Cooperstown where, 
you know, you, I don't know if it's a back room or somewhere at the Atasaga Hotel or, or wherever it is where all of you guys who are in this exclusive club gather. Has that been the neatest part, perhaps? Yeah, there's that. And like I say, at the hotel, it's, it's the hotel is blocked off for just Hall of Famers and the media family. And, and uh, you know, every night we have a, there's a dinner, um, you know, and you, you hang out at back, have a glass of wine and, and hear stories. And, uh, and that happens all the time, you know, and then, I mean, the last, uh, the last year I've, I've got to be good friends with Ozzy Smith and uh, Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, uh, these guys hanging out and having dinner with them after it's been a round table and, and, uh, and being, being with them. Just, it's just a, a neat fraternity for sure. And then the day of induction, you know, you go down in the morning and we all meet in a room and get ready to hop on, uh, I, I mean, on, on the parade, I mean, uh, we go downstairs and we, we sit in this room and then we all hop on our cars to do the parade and, um, you know, then but the big one is after the induction when the speeches are over. We get back to the hotel and uh, we have a dinner and stuff uh, in a in a room with it's only Hall of Famers. Uh, it's just the Hall of Famers and and the commissioner and uh, and that's it. So it's a it's a neat little situation where we all it's tough to know which table to sit at because you don't you don't want to get moved because usually the punch and Judy guys sit together and the home run hitters sit together and. Uh, and that's how it rolls. So you'll be told where to sit if you have to be. Wow, that that's wild. Now you're you've you've always been somebody comfortable in your skin. But were you a little nervous, to, even though you you now are in that fraternity? But the first time you kind of walk in that room to to know your place, so to speak. Oh no, no doubt. You know that the, after the induction, when Derek and I went in, uh, we walked into that room, and Derek and I sat together just because we know your the uncertainty of it. You know. Um, but it, that, that year we went, it was just one, I guess because of COVID, they said, but it was one long table and that was it. Uh, last year was a little different because there was individual tables with about uh, six to eight seats at each table. So that's how you had to pick where you sit. So we had it easy on ours. Uh, we just, you sit anywhere at the long table and you're good to go. Is there, and you mentioned Ozzy and, and Eddie Murray and, you know, Eddie Murray a little bit before you, Ozzy, I guess, you know, before you, uh, are there other guys that you come to know and you say, man, what a great dude, would have loved to play with that guy. I'm sure you would love to play with all these guys. I mean, they're great and and, uh, and so on, but are there a couple of guys that stand out? Well, if you know me, you know, I, I kid around and joke around. I got a kind of dry sense of humor, but I'm, I'm always up for a good joke and a good ribbon and. Uh, I'll dish it out just the same way as I'll take it. And, you know, and, and I find that, you know, obviously I think it's known Wade Boggs is, is quite the jokester and, uh, and, and has a good time with, uh, with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And, uh, and, you know, he was quite welcoming to my family. He sat with my mom, uh, and had, a, you know, putting their arm around my mom and just, uh, you know, just, just a good feeling like that. But yeah, there's a bunch of guys in there. George Brett, solid as can be. Um, like I say, Ozzy was awesome. Ken Griffey Jr. These guys that we, we sit down with, and 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 you know what? They're they're all you know. The, the one thing I was told was once you get in that room, it doesn't matter if you're a first ballot or a, a, a final year, or you got voted in by the committee. Uh, you're a Hall of Famer, and they welcome you that way. And that couldn't be more true. Everybody is very, very genuine, and and uh, it's just one big family. Even within that, and, and you know, it, it, one of the things I really appreciate about any Hall of Fame, whether it's Canton in the NFL or, you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame or the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, uh, the one thing about baseball, I don't want to say that sets it apart, but man, it is hard to get in. You know that um, firsthand. And even within that 
group of all timers. Are there a couple of guys that that's you know somehow like even in the penthouse? I, I know Willie Mays is in his nineties, and I don't know if Willie travel. I don't think he travels anymore. But you know, is there that iconic figure that even among all of you guys, you, you kind of like you know bow down to, so to speak? Well, I mean, if we sat down with a list of everybody that was there, it'd probably be like eighty percent of them because these are guys I didn't play with that were before me. You know, uh, you know, sitting out, even with uh, Tony Oliva went in last year, you know, seeing him there and Rod Crew, you know, walking up and, and talking to them. Um, you know, those were legends, you know, growing up as I started to understand baseball more and watch it more, that guys that I only got to see on TV, not guys that I'm going to be sitting beside in a room and we're all Hall of Famers. So it's just those things you don't see, don't think about, right? It's just uh, they don't exist until, until they do exist. And then it's like you kind of, you kind of look in the mirror and shake your head going, wow, what an experience. And, and I'll do that every year I'm there. Yeah, it, it, almost like do you pinch yourself and go, hey, what am I doing here kind of thing? <laughs> I did that just being in Major League Baseball. Are you kidding me? This didn't take a Hall of Fame. Just being a Major League Baseball player made me pinch myself. You know what, Larry? I don't know if I ever asked you this. And, and, and knowing you you know, over the years, I think I know the answer is you know, it's going to be no. But was there any point in time – you know, late in your career where you thought, you know, shoot, maybe I am a Hall of Famer. I mean, you, obviously you you were, but you didn't realize it until many years later. Do you ever allow yourself, you know, at, at some point in time on a plane, on, you know, in, in the off season working out where you go, hey, you know what, maybe I got a shot? Um, well, yeah, you're bright. The answer is no, because it's not something you think of. You know, you go up there, you try to compete and, and you try to win and celebrate with your team after each game. Um, you know, my outlook was I, I didn't, I didn't want to be the worst player on the field, but I always wanted to bring myself up to the level of who I thought was the best player on the field. And that's how I kind of went out there. That's not saying I didn't try every game or anything, but I, I didn't want somebody else being better than me on the field. And that was just my thought. You know, it's not something I would, you know, preach to everybody and everything, but, um, it just helped me, I guess, raise my game, uh, every time. It gave me motivation. Um, that, that, but not to make it sound like I, I went out there some days and if, if there was nobody better than me, then I could just you know put it in cruise control. But it was always just trying to be the best or match the best because there's obviously a lot of players that were better than me, and and I didn't let that get to me. I just wanted to be as good as them on that particular day. You know what's funny, Larry? Um, t- tell me if you agree with this. One of the ironies of your uh, election, which was overdue, but your eventual election was the fact that the writers, uh, many finally embraced advanced metrics to look at Larry Walker's career and and kind of pause and go, wait a second, this this dude is a Hall of Famer. And yet you were someone who probably had, you know, somewhat of a disdain for advanced metrics, even though they weren't as commonplace when you played. Yeah, I still don't understand them, Drew. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's numbers and things uh, that uh, I've been told, and and I just look at the person that's telling me, you know, this is where you are in this category, and I don't even, you know, if they wouldn't have told me what the letters were for that category, I don't even what the heck it was, and, and some of them I still don't, so I, I don't understand it, and I don't, I'm not ever going to pretend to uh, say I do, and I don't think I'll ever try to understand it, so uh, I just kind of look at the bottom line is that. Uh, um, on my last year, I was good enough to make it by a few votes. Yeah, and the way I, you know, look at it, we all, 
in what I do, not what you do, you played. But in what I do, you, you have to, you know, embrace it and understand that, you know, everything evolves, game changes, numbers change. And and so I try, you know, I wrap my arms around it. But I, I still find it, it's got to be a happy medium because your eyeballs can tell you who can play also. And that can't be dismissed um, at, at all. And I remember way back, maybe it was my dad telling me when I was growing up or when, when the Hall of Fame conversation would come up. It was, there was never numbers. It was like, a guy's a Hall of Famer if he's looked upon as one of the best guys in his era. And certainly you fall under that. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that because we get so engulfed in the numbers, man. Do you think that way? Um, yeah, I guess in a way. Uh, if, uh, if you just take the numbers out of the game, um, you know, there was many instances where you know, I was always told uh, after the fact, many you know years after or year after that, uh, talking to other managers or coaches that they always said in their meetings that I was the one guy that they were going to make not beat them. So for me to hear that coming from them with no numbers involved, just the fact that they had their meetings, and if we're going to lose a game, we're not going to let him beat us. And, and I was told that quite a few times. So, you know, that's a pretty humbling feeling as, as a player, knowing that the other team is having meetings before they came, and, and you're the one guy that's not allowed to beat them. Yeah. That's why with the vote, and, and there's there's a lot of things that frustrate me about it. I don't think, quite frankly, they're, they're not a great number, but there's a certain number of the electorate that does not do their homework, especially when it comes to Coors Field. Um, you know, it kind of leads us into, you know, Todd getting close and, and hopefully next year is the year that, you know, we can celebrate his career as a Hall of Fame worthy um, career. Um, did, did it frustrate you at all, um, whether it be the East Coast bias or the lack of understanding of what it's truly like to play at altitude that it giveth and taketh away? Well, it didn't frustrate me one bit on the voting because, um, like I said, I. Uh, I'd, I'd never considered myself that elite of a, a person or player, so I never, I never had any downers every year about it. It was exciting to watch it go up as it as it became, but and you know, like I say, when it did happen, um, you know, it, it, it's help. All it's done is help uh, for Todd and anybody else that wears a Rockies uniform. You know, me making it in, I think, is a is a, is a big support for Todd, and then I think that's shown by the numbers how he's gone up since then. So I think people have learned that, you know, Coors Field is, is it's another ballpark in the major leagues. And if we're going to penalize hitters, well, then we go to, I mean, where do you stop? You can go to ballparks that penalize their pitchers or, or help pitchers. You know, it's just a, it's a never-ending process. So I think you just, uh, and I don't know the right, you know, people say the writers shouldn't be allowed to vote. I don't know who's who's allowed to vote. At, you know, it's a, it's a tough one because if you, if the writers hopefully don't bring other things into effect, uh, you know, meaning favoritism or I don't like that guy, you know, the, the, those type of things, that guy wasn't nice to me or whatever, that shouldn't have anything to do with it. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, there's some guys that are just are, are gamers. And I think I think for Jeff Kent's sake, um, for him not to come very close was, uh, you know, uh, that's, you know, Jeff, maybe he wasn't the nicest guy on the field and, and always available, but uh, his numbers spoke for themselves. And I thought he got a, a, a bum deal. Yeah, see, I agree with you. I wanted to ask you about a couple of guys, and Kent was one of them because, uh, you know, from uh, he, he's kind of changed to a certain degree how we look at second baseman. It, it was always a you know a field first, you know, whatever you gave 
the team offensively was a bonus. Jeff Kent made it a, a power spot. And I'll give you another guy that, that you played against, Larry, that I've always felt was underrated. And again, if you look at the numbers, this guy put up big numbers in a lot of categories, and that's Bobby Abreu. I knew you were going to say him. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, they do that little uh, 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 with a player's vote online uh, with uh, one of those Ryan Spader there. He's able to do a vote. And, and, and when I when I did that voting, I, I checked off Bobby Abreu's name a couple times and, and uh, thought that, you know what, this guy's pretty worthy. You know, he, he, he was always up there. And, and because I got to play against him and see him, I, I understood what he was able to do on the ball field. And he was quite talented. So, yeah. Um, I, I think he's in there as well. You know, Andrew Jones, uh, pretty darn good numbers and a pretty good darn center fielder to to not be getting more love than what he's getting. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, we can go on and on about different guys, but like Fred McGriff, thankfully, finally got in. I always used to look, walk, and I'd go. Does somebody have something against Fred McGriff? I mean, he was never attached to the PD stuff. He's got. You know what did he hit? Basically, five hundred homers, and you're like, why is this guy not a Hall of Famer? And and I see that's the other area. When you ask about, or when you you know speculate about you know writers and having biases, and I know what I'm about to say, self-serving. I said it earlier is that it should be a cross section. You know, we're there as broadcasters every single day. We don't have a vote, and maybe more importantly than any any of us. Are you guys, you know who can play, you know who's a gamer, you know who you don't want to face if you're on the hill, you know when you're standing in right field who you'd rather not see up with the game on the line. It should be a cross-section of of guys voting, because I I think if you ask guys like yourself, hey, was Fred McGriff a Hall of Famer, you go, absolutely, right? Yeah, no, I agree. That's the one thing I kind of touched on before in, in personal conversations, and I'll say it now, and with you is, yeah, it could be split into quarters where maybe 25% of the vote goes to the players, 25 to uh, the writers, 25 to the coaches and managers, and maybe 25 to the broadcasters and radio guys that are there watching every game with every opponent coming into the town. So uh, you get equal eyes on everybody. More with Drew and the Hall of Famer, Larry Walker, right after this. I get great pleasure out of telling you about steel products, S-T-I-H-L. There's a steel dealer right around the corner from you, I guarantee it, because there's over 10,000 dealers around the country. So it's easy to get your hands on the best tools on the market. That's S-T-I-H-L, steel dealers, or steelusa.com. You can buy products, in fact, online at steelusa.com, and they'll be ready for you to pick up at your local dealer you know the orange logo they have blowers they have mowers they have chainsaws galore they have trimmers everything to help make your backyard your property the absolute best it can be and they have products from the small job all the way up to huge jobs used by the pros. I've told you that many times. I've run into people on the street that are working with these massive chainsaws and their steel products. So you can have the same thing, the same quality in your garage or your shed. S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com. Look at how many different products they have. You'll be uh, literally blown away s-t-i-h-l steelusa.com steeldealers.com 
Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Guys, listen up. Uh, you know what makes a nice little gift? Anything from Boyer's Coffee. I love their coffee. They've been brewing it in our area since 1965. But they have all kinds of good knickknacks if you go to boyerscoffee.com. In addition to the wonderful coffee, had a Rocky Mountain Thunder a short while ago. They got hazelnut, French vanilla, Denver blend, Aspen gold, uh, amaretto coffee, butterscotch toffee coffee, and uh, other products as well. So go to their website and check it out and make that significant other on Valentine's Day a little extra happy. So get your uh, gifts from Boyer's Coffee and uh, do it now. You can shop online and a couple of clicks later, it is all done. That's boyerscoffee.com. Simply the best. They've been brewing coffee, as I said, in our area since 1965. Now back to Drew with Larry Walker. With Todd, um, did you could, could you kind of live vicariously a little bit to what he was going through yesterday and the nerves? And I texted with him, you know, a couple of days ago and, uh, you know, he allowed that. Yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking. Obviously, you want to get in. He knew it was going to be close. Um, I'm, I'm sure you can relate a little bit. Yeah, no, I know the feeling. Uh, I guess the only difference was I was down to my final final straw, so he still got uh, he still got a few left in the drink. So, um, but uh, that looks like uh, with the way it's going to be where he was at this year, that yeah, next year uh, he should get over the threshold and and get the put that HOF twenty twenty four under his name. Yeah, and you know what? You know what is one similarity between the two of you? You were dreading, um, as you told me, because I remember having a conversation with you about this, you know, writing the, writing the speech and going up there. And I said this to you after, not that my opinion means, you know, hill of beans, but you killed it. You did. I know you heard that from a lot of people. You killed it. You talked from the heart and, and so on. And you and I both know that Todd, A, talking about himself and B, talking in front of a lot of people is like the last friggin' thing on God's green earth he wants to do. Yeah, no, that's uh, I'm the same way. I don't like uh, being around big crowds of people. Uh, when I sit in a room, I try to sit at a table with my back to the wall so everybody's in front of me. I don't have people around me. Um, and then sitting up there with you know everybody being quiet, staring out at that field of fifty thousand people, yeah, it's nerve wracking. And uh, and for for me, the leading up to it was the worst part. Uh, I felt better once I got out there and got started. It, it you know, I, I think I felt that relief. You know, um, and I tried to keep it short as I could. I think I was thirteen minutes, and because I got about the eight, nine, ten minute mark in there, and I could feel my knees shaking under my pants because I was just, oh my god, I'm. I'm 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 boring myself right now. I need to hurry up and finish this and get off the stage. So like, uh, it, it, it was very nerve wracking. And when that thing was over, trust me, uh, what a relief. <laughs> hey, um, how many times did you practice it prior to having to perform it? Well, you'll be surprised. I practiced it three times. That's it. That's it. Three times. That's I, I said. I, but I, I wrote it over and over so many times it was like i practiced it a hundred times so because i kept rewriting you know i'd start over i would i would edit i, I had a year a year and a half because you know ours got canceled the first year so i had a long long time to think about it and uh, I, I was told uh to by by somebody that if you think of something like i i, I couldn't sleep some nights because i'd be thinking about what i was going to say and i would wake myself up 
because that's when I'm going to remember it, and I would write it down on my phone and type it in and then go back to sleep. And the times that I didn't do that, well, I forgot what I was thinking about during my sleep in the middle of the night. So I had many occasions during the night where I'd wake up and write down my thoughts. Who who was the first person to kind of like whisper in your ear and say, man, you you crushed it? Well, probably John Shesterkowski, the vice president of the Hall of Fame. He was he was always my biggest supporter through it, and uh, you know, and then when I sent my speech into him, he goes, "This is awesome." You know, he's like, "This is Larry. This is awesome. It's different than everybody else." And I and and he said what you said. He goes, "This is. It feels like it's coming right from the heart." You know, and and that's how I wrote it. I didn't want to I didn't want to just throw things in there just because they should be. I wanted to throw things that were real and. and that's what I tried to do with it. Yeah, and your personality came out too, which is important because people who don't know you, you know, may not know the dry, the dry wit and the dry sense of humor. Uh, by the way, did the hall ask for um, the SpongeBob uh, shirt or what? Yeah, that was on display for over a year. Uh, I got it back, and it's actually with me right now. I have, still have not worn it since that day. <laughs> I, that 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 was so you, man. By the way, that that was that was classic. Um, no shift walk moving forward. Are you training? Because last time I saw you, you look great. I mean, you honestly, the old line about it, you look like you can still play. I know you're working out like a, like a demon, it looks like. Um, there's no shift, man. So are you, you making a comeback? Yeah. Well, I, 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 would have, I wouldn't have minded the shift because I would have learned how to hit the other way, which a lot of players should have learned how to do. You know, instead of sticking with the one way of hitting, make an adjustment. You know, pitchers make adjustments all the time. There's no reason why a hitter couldn't make adjustments. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point. It's a fair point, but I know there's a lot of left-handed hitters that are really happy this winter as they prepare for uh, for next spring. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I say, the game's a little different now, and uh, and things keep changing and evolving, and we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll, we'll play it out and see how that works. I know there's talk about possibly the strike zone uh, being like a tennis court now, so we'll see we'll see how that works as well. Do you want? Uh, yeah, I'm sure you were frustrated at different times in ball strikes. Um, do you want automation, or do you still feel like, hey, the game's played by human beings? Let it be officiated by human beings. Well, you know that that, that element is part of the game. So, uh, you know, for me, it's let it be. You know, uh, as long as the umpires don't aren't holding grudges, or, or you know, like I say, they don't like this certain hitter, so they're going to ring them up. You know, if, if that part of it is doesn't exist, then then I'm perfectly perfectly happy with the human error that comes into it and uh and, and you just deal with it that's the way it's always been yeah on the occasion that you're back at coors field uh i i would assume that it's really cool to glance out in extreme right center field and, and see your number up there i, I still flip through some pictures I, and I did it the other day i was looking for a picture uh on my phone and and that one always seems to catch my eye there's one picture somebody took and i saved it to my phone where uh, the sunlight is hitting it just perfect, and it looks like it's all solid gold around the number. And it's just uh, takes my breath away every time I see it. Did you um, have you put up any uh, pictures at all from whether the you know the Hall of Fame induction or your number retirement at, at Coors Field? Is there anything in adorn uh, uh, any of your places? Uh, I made one little thing above my TV with the number thirty three that the the Rockies gave me, um, and I have. Uh, all my Hall of Fame bobbleheads around it, and and that's it. Uh, I have nothing else. People have asked me for autograph stuff, and I don't have anything. I've given it all away, so it's gone. Yeah. Hey, by the last one, Larry, did you get uh, your MVP uh, trophy fixed yet, or no? No, it's still still all cracked up. <laughs> 
Thank you. You are a piece of work, man. Hey, listen, <laughs> enjoy Cabo. It's always great catching up. Uh, make me laugh uh, in, in the 11th inning of some four-and-a-half-hour game uh, this summer. All right, man? Yeah, I will send you something uh, via text to get, get you through the game. That that's that's what you know. Friends are for. I appreciate that, man. Hey, walk, be well, stay well, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Okay, yeah, thanks, dude. Appreciate it. So big thanks to uh, Larry Walker. I know he'll be excited next year, also when there will be another Rocky inducted uh, in Todd Helton, in all likelihood. And um, you know, Larry's somebody that's that's never going to change. He's. Uh, He's funny, he's self-deprecating, and the fact that he's now a Hall of Famer, it's almost like he's kind of an accidental tourist, right? And there he is in the Hall of Fame, but he was a great one. I mean, as talented a player as you will ever see. I mean, just a remarkable player. And uh, thrilled that he's had his day and he can write, uh, as he said, HOF next to his, uh, his name when he signs for people. NFL last weekend, we're down to the final four. Yeah, I'm bummed out. The Giants uh, the Giants have been eliminated. They ran into a far superior team for the third time this year in uh, Philadelphia. And I had said at the start of the tournament, you can look this up, I, I had Cincinnati in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, and I had Cincinnati winning. And so I'm still in line for that to happen. I think Philadelphia is going to beat San Francisco in what could be a great game. Uh, Their pass rush is is tremendous. Jalen Hurts will be another week removed from, you know, the shoulder injury, played well against the Giants. I think they're a really complete team. And and again, since they're at home, I like uh, Philadelphia sticking with them. Uh, Bengals couldn't play better than Joe Burrow played. He was magnificent the other day. Uh, I know all eyes on the ankle of Patrick Mahomes. But Cincinnati at Kansas City is the favorite in that game. So I'm going to stick with, again, what I said a few shows back at the at the start of the NFL postseason. I like Cincinnati to win in Kansas City, and I'm going to take Cincinnati in the Super Bowl uh, ultimately over the Eagles. Broncos coaching search. At least as of we tape uh, on this uh, Wednesday late afternoon, the Broncos are still searching. And the more that I look at the candidates, and specifically Sean Payton, I'm out on Sean Payton. And maybe the Broncos are too. It, it, It appears that they are for, I'm sure, different reasons. I respect that they're keeping things close to the vest, though others close to Sean Payton seemingly have leaked out information. I ain't paying a first and, and another pick for Sean Payton. And it's not my money, but I don't want to pay $20 million to Sean Payton. You know who shouldn't want Sean Payton? George Payton. Because George Payton's probably on thinner ice than he'd like to be. And if they pay a head coach $20 million and give up draft capital, he's going to be calling the shots. And then your job's really precarious if you're a general manager. But you don't need to go in that direction. He's not the only guy out there that can win. I like D'Amico Ryans a lot. And I know I've said that you got to have head coaching experience given the fact that the Broncos have failed with the last three who did not. But I am a fan of his from afar and everything I've read. I like Raheem Morris, who has been a head coach 
I like Jim Caldwell, who's been a successful head coach. There are other really good candidates. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in that Sean Payton camp anymore. We'll see how it spins. But any of those uh, aforementioned candidates, Ryans, Morris, Caldwell, even Dan Quinn, I'd be on board. I'd be on board. Well, anyhow, that'll do it for this edition. Kind of our Hall of Fame edition as baseball moves closer to uh, the playing field and pitchers and catchers uh, reporting. But um, we'll be talking a lot more baseball in the coming weeks. It was uh, a fascinating couple of days with that uh, with that vote coming out. But again, with Todd Helton, his day is coming. His day is coming. I know a lot of people were upset the fact that he didn't get in this year and he was oh so close. Uh, but his day will come and we'll rejoice at uh, that point in time. Thanks again for listening. As always, we'll do it again in seven days. Y'all stay happy and stay well. And we'll talk soon. <laughs>